Hey, Wind of Change listeners, it's me, Patrick Radden Keefe. It's been a tumultuous two years since the podcast came out. I've been thinking a lot since Russia invaded Ukraine about that experience we had in episode two when we went to Kiev for the Scorpions show and felt how strongly the message of Wind of Change resonated with Ukrainian fans. The Scorpions are back out on tour. I'm going to go see them in the fall. And when they play the song, they've been unfurling this big Ukrainian flag in solidarity. But today I wanted to let you know about a new project of mine. It's a book called Rogues, True Stories of Grifters, Killers, Rebels, and Crooks. It's just out, and there's an audio version from Penguin Random House Audio, which I narrated. If you enjoyed Wind of Change, or my books Say Nothing or Empire of Pain, I think you'll like Rogues. It's 12 discrete stories, all of them true, and all of them pretty outlandish. There's a big story about the hunt for the drug lord Chapo Guzman and the very weird experience I had when, after he was captured, El Chapo asked me to ghostwrite his memoirs. I did not take him up on it. There's an account of this Dutch woman who's living in hiding after she became the lead witness against the biggest gangster in Amsterdam, who also happens to be her brother. There's a crazy mystery set in the world of super high-end wine, where collectors think nothing of dropping 20 grand on a rare bottle of vintage Bordeaux. It turns out there was a very skilled con man working in that world, a forger who started selling counterfeit wine to all these rich collectors. And you might be wondering, could they tell? Could these fancy wine connoisseurs taste the difference between a fake bottle and the real thing? There's also one that meant a lot to me personally, which is a big profile of Anthony Bourdain. It was one of the last major articles about him written before his death, and it's about conversations we had and meals we shared over the course of a year and a trip that I got to take with him to Vietnam. The book is available now. You can pick up a copy at your local bookstore or you can download the narrated version wherever you get your audiobooks. And right now I'm going to play you a sample from the audiobook of Rogues. This is the beginning of one really bonkers story about this flamboyant, uncatchable international arms trafficker. This guy was like a Bond villain come to life. He lived in great luxury in the south of Spain and was known as the Prince of Marbella. Palacio de Mifadil one of several homes owned by the wealthy Syrian arms merchant Munzer al-Qasar, is a white marble mansion overlooking the resort town of Marbella on the southern coast of Spain. Surrounded by lush grounds and patrolled by three mastiffs, it has a 12-car garage and a swimming pool shaped like a four-leaf clover. One sunny morning in 2007, two Guatemalans named Carlos and Luis arrived at the front gate. One of Kassar's associates ushered the men between curving marble staircases into the Grand Salon. Kassar was expecting them. He had agreed to sell them several million dollars worth of weapons for the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, the South American narco-insurgent organization known as the FARC, which the U.S. government considers a terrorist group. Since moving to Spain some 30 years earlier, Kassar had become one of the world's most prolific arms dealers. Although he owned an import-export company that conducted legitimate business, he had also developed a reputation as a trafficker 
willing to funnel munitions to rogue states and armed groups in defiance of international sanctions and embargoes. He has been accused of many transgressions, fueling conflicts in the Balkans and Somalia, procuring components of Chinese anti-ship cruise missiles for Iran, supplying the Iraqi army on the eve of the U.S. invasion in 2003, and using a private jet to spirit $1 billion out of Iraq and into Lebanon for Saddam Hussein. A 2003 United Nations report branded him an international embargo buster. In 2006, when Iraq's new government released its list of most wanted criminals, Kassar was number 26. He was one of the main sources of financial and logistics support for the insurgency, an Iraqi official said. Authorities claimed that Kassar had been involved in smuggling drugs, financing terrorist groups, and ordering the assassination of various rivals and witnesses against him. Expelled from England and convicted in absentia on terrorism charges in France for supplying explosives that were used in a 1982 attack on a restaurant in the Jewish quarter of Paris, he had been a wanted man for 30 years. Kassar liked to playfully deny the charges against him, saying that he had never dealt drugs, I don't even smoke cigarettes, and claiming that he had long since retired from the arms trade. But along with Persian carpets and silk flowers, the Grand Salon was decorated with framed photographs that showed him posing with Saddam Hussein's psychopathic son, Uday, and with Kassar's longtime friend, Abu Abbas, the former head of the Palestine Liberation Front, who was responsible for hijacking the Italian cruise ship, the Achille Lauro, in 1985. How do I know who's good and who's bad? Kassar would say of his associates. The bad people for you may be the good people for me. Kassar lived in Marbella with his wife, Ragda, and their four children. Ostentatiously well-mannered and stylishly dressed, he projected a roguish cosmopolitanism. He spoke half a dozen languages, had half a dozen passports, and maintained a fleet of Mercedes sedans, along with a private jet that he piloted himself. If his house guests were smokers, he offered them specially rolled Cuban cigars with a band that read M. Alcazar and bore a tiny photograph of his son. He often visited the casino in nearby Puerto Banus to play blackjack, always paying for his chips with the same dog-eared check which was returned to him once he had collected his winnings. He showed it off to friends as an indication of his skill as a gambler. I would see him in a local bar or disco, and it was obvious that he didn't have a care in the world, Sam Wyman, a former CIA official who was stationed in the Middle East and Spain, told me. Over the years, Kassar had developed powerful links with various governments and their intelligence services, whose agents often intersect with the underworld. The result was a degree of impunity. He was a protected person in some respects, by virtue of his relationships, Wyman said. These connections, coupled with strong legal counsel, had allowed Kassar to avoid significant jail time. In the Arab world, he was known as the Peacock. In Europe, the press called him the Prince of Marbella. Bienvenidos, Kassar said as he entered the salon. 
a handsome man in his early sixties with a strong nose, hooded eyes, and close-cropped gray hair. He was dressed in a tailored blue suit and wore an Hermes belt with a buckle in the shape of an H. What would you like to drink? Tell me. He asked about his visitor's trip and called Carlos little brother. We need to talk, Carlos said. He and Luis were interested not just in machine guns and rocket-propelled grenade launchers, he explained, but also in surface-to-air missiles, which could be used to shoot down American helicopters in Colombia. Kassar assured him that he would be able to get what they needed. Just look at what's happening in Iraq, he said. They're good for everything, for all those helicopters. As Kassar's aging white poodle, Yogi, wandered in and out of the room, the men discussed the dangers of conducting business over the phone. Kassar instructed his guests to call him on a special line, saying, I have the most secure phone in the world. At one point, Carlos complained that the United States was interfering in the FARC's activities in Colombia. Uh-huh, Kassar murmured sympathetically. All over the world, he said. This statement was more apt than Kassar might have realized, because as he negotiated the deal, every word that he said was being recorded. He had become the subject of an international sting orchestrated by a secretive unit of the American Drug Enforcement Administration. Carlos and Luis worked for the United States. If you want to find out what happened with that investigation, I hope you'll consider picking up the book. Or better yet, getting the audiobook, which has the whole saga of the Prince of Marbella and 11 other true tales of skullduggery and intrigue. The book is called Rogues, True Stories of Grifters, Killers, Rebels, and Crooks. It's written and narrated by me, Patrick Radden Keefe, and it's available now from Doubleday Books and from Penguin Random House Audio. Thanks for listening, and happy summer. <laughs>